Thank you, worship band. That could not have been a more perfect song for what we're doing today. Once again, I'm Sharon Rhodes-Wickett, and I'm delighted to be your guest preacher here this morning as your pastor, Nicole, takes some time for refreshment and renewal, something we all need to do. I'm beginning with reading from the first book of our Bible, Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild things of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in God's own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. <clears throat> God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that everything he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And now a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? If you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. 
the word of God for the people of God. Summertime, a time for vacation, for being outdoors, for being renewed by Sabbath time. Just a few weeks ago, I returned from a three-week trip with friends to five national parks. We enjoyed Zion and Bryce and Glacier and Yellowstone and the Tetons. And I experienced once again what a gift this planet Earth is, and especially that part that's been set aside for such enjoyment. But there was a kind of a looming, ominous sign that hovered over our journey, and that was the smoke in the air. The skies were not the gorgeous blue that we had anticipated, but rather gray with smoke drifting in from Washington, Oregon, and Northern California fires. Who speaks? For Earth. To speak for Earth assumes a role of stewardship on our part. In this time of mounting critical awareness and concern for the effects of climate change, I invite us today to think theologically about the Earth, its inhabitants, and its creator. There are plenty of articles and books that tackle the important topic of climate change from lots of different angles, and you have all kinds of access to those, and I'm not going to give you a list of what you can do, because those lists are everywhere. I suspect you've read them and know what they say. Today, we're focusing our theological framework. Our source is scripture, our faith tradition, our ability to reason, to use our minds, and our experience, which I have to point out is a very united Methodist way of doing theology. Those are the four components that go into it. So this morning I have placed this globe on the communion table to remind us that when we reflect on our stewardship of God's creation, we mean all of God's creation, which goes beyond this planet into the universe and beyond this universe, beyond all that. Whew. Our ancient forebears understood stewardship. And as they told the story of God creating the world, the concept of caring for God's creation was baked in. It was already a part of the word. The new revised version of the Bible, which we heard this morning, uses the word dominion to describe the role human beings have in the created order. To have dominion is to have sovereignty, to care for the well-being of that which is entrusted to you. The message version of the Bible says, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for all of life. Dominion, sovereignty, responsible, stewards, communion with God, and creation. Genesis rings with it. I have given you food. I have provided all this diversity of creatures, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. The story from Luke 
that, that shares some of Jesus' teachings echoes Genesis. God has given us all we need for our lives. It is all gift. And with delicate systems of balance and care for its ongoing renewal, we are called to trust that gift and to be good stewards of that gift. But there is this proviso embedded in the creation story. Care for creation, and creation will care for you. It's a mutually dependent relationship. Years ago, the National Council of Churches in Christ produced some study materials about the environment, and I think the language is so beautiful. So I'm going to share a few excerpts with you. From towering mountains to stark deserts to glorious forests and wide open fields, God's lands are an integral part of creation, just as it was for the ancient Israelites. The land is more than real estate or mere dirt under our feet. While it includes the gifts of soil, air, and water for material sustenance, it is also the foundation of human community, where we live, work, play, and find spiritual renewal. The lands we know and enjoy encompass both human-built communities and the wide-open spaces of wilderness, which provide habitat and nourishment for God's other creatures. Like trees putting down roots in the soil, we are deeply embedded in the land, physically, culturally, and spiritually. Sharing the land with our neighbors and with other creatures gives us a sense of place and belonging within our communities and the whole of creation. Experiencing the solitude and beauty of wilderness reminds us of God's power and grace in our lives. It is a role of privilege and responsibility, which requires us to work actively to safeguard the land, the bountiful gifts flowing from it, and the integrity of the ecosystems and communities that rely on it. Close quote. Think about it. In the first creation story, which of course is not science, it is theology, the water and the land come first, foundational, for then the trees and plants, fruits and vegetables, and then come other creatures, those that fly and those that crawl and those that swim and those that slither. At the very end come the humans who are charged to care for all that came before. I believe God intends for us to learn from creation. We are a mere part of all that is, but when we make our role larger or too large, then we become consumers of our environment and we are no longer learning from it, we are exhausting it. We are depleting the soils and filling our earth home with methane gases which wreak havoc everywhere, including degrading the quality of the food that's grown. Care for creation and it will care for you. Who speaks for earth? 
Will it be you? Thomas Berry, who's been described as an eco-theologian, sounds an alarm about how we view our beloved planet Earth. He says, two things are needed to guide our judgment and sustain our energy for the challenges ahead. A certain alarm at what is happening at present and a fascination with the future available to us only if we respond creatively to the urgencies of the present. Close quote. He makes the case that we humans have got to make an attitude adjustment about the universe. He said we have to realize that the universe is a communion of subjects, not a collection of objects. A communion of subjects, not a collection of objects. All creatures share this planet together, both animate and inanimate. Barry states that we are in the great state of transition now. We are ending the Cenozoic era and moving into the Ecozoic era. We are in a period where many species are becoming extinct. And some say we are in the sixth great era of the extinction of species. Think about the span of time that led to human beings' existence. The Cenozoic era began some 65 million years ago, the time when life as we know it began to form colors, shapes, diversity of creating. The early human types appeared during the ice ages of the last 1.8 million years, and then the first humans emerged somewhere on the edge of the savanna in Africa about 60,000 years ago. Only 10,000 years ago did human beings begin to form social structures and domesticate animals. From 65 million years to the last 10,000 years, look what impact we humans have had on Earth. We can't go back. From now on, we will continue to have a huge impact on our planet. What will that impact be? Our spiritual energies are needed now for this one-time endowment called Earth. Barry does feel hopeful, as long as we understand this, that Earth is primary and that humans are derivative. That requires a shift in our thinking and our being. I witnessed that shift a number of years ago when I was pastor at Claremont UMC. We had a, a groundbreaking celebration for an adobe structure that, that we were going to build. Members of the Tongva tribe were invited to attend since it was originally their land. And I was so moved when one of the elders of the Tongva tribe, before breaking ground, asked permission from the earth to, to do so, and it really was a process that caused us to reflect and give thanks for all that the earth provides, but not only that, it addresses that we have relationship with the earth. It is not inanimate. There is a relationship with the earth. It was a profound moment to experience this tender, gentle asking for permission before proceeding. 
Barry points out that we have developed a moral teaching concerned with suicide, with homicide and genocide. We have developed no effective teachings, he says, concerned with biocide, the killing of life systems of the earth, or geocide, the killing of earth itself. Who speaks for earth? We have not fully claimed the spirituality of creation. It's in our tradition. It's in our scriptures. It's in our hymns, but we have not seen it or claimed it. Perhaps we've been fearful of, of people thinking we're seeing God as everything, but we have missed the spirituality of God's ongoing creating. We need to have an attitude adjustment about how we see earth, no longer as a place to take for granted, no longer a place to serve our needs. Rather, it must be primary in how we order our thinking and our living. We are dependent on earth, and we are secondary to the needs of earth. Barry brings this hopeful word about our future. Everywhere, at all times, the universe is present to itself. Each atomic element is immediately influencing and being influenced by every other atom of the universe. Nothing can ever be separated from anything else. The Earth is a single, if highly differentiated, community. This is the quintessential way of understanding the universe. So too, every part of the universe activates a particular dimension or aspect of the universe in a unique and unrepeatable manner. Thus, everything is needed. Without the perfection of each part, something is lacking from the whole. Each particular being in the universe is needed by the entire universe. With this understanding of our profound kinship with all of life, we established the basis for a flourishing earth community." Close quote. To think of kinship with all life as being part of earth community is indeed found in our faith story. Scripture is filled with images of animals and nature. Mountains clap their hands with joy. Eagles' wings give us shelter and support. Jesus turned to the flowers and to the birds of the air to teach about God's providential care. There is much to learn from nature. There is mystery and awe in taking our rightful place alongside the rest of creation as one community. Friends, this is theology. This is theology. We need to take a Sabbath from our over-consuming and taxing God's good creation. Our lifestyle, of course, is part of the problem. We need a good old-fashioned conversion. Instead of asking what we can afford, we must ask, what do we actually need? We need to shift our focus to God's focus, which is the commonwealth of all beings. That's why we're wearing masks right now, because of care and concern for all. We must value the most basic of connections with the land, with family, with God, with neighbor, with one another. God creates 
so that we are cared for. When we care for what God creates, we are cared for. It's really simple. <laughs> Stewardship of God's creation is an act of faith. It's an act of faith and trust in its renewing. I close with this story written by John Jerome. He writes, The other joy of true of both skin and scuba diving is to put oneself in the midst of fish. Sometimes hundreds of them will be swirling around within six feet of your face. They stare at you. <laughs> You stare at them. They stay just out of reach, darting away long before your hand gets near. If you are silly, i.e. human, enough to try to touch them. But you can't touch fish, of course. But in fact, you're already touching them, generating currents, sending signals that they feel whether you can observe their response or not. I can't help but dream that if one spent enough time with them, perhaps you could learn to feel those signals too, coming back the other way, through pressure, through subtleties of current, you might begin to feel touched by the fish. You might then begin to understand the web between you, the contact established by some at some subtle level with all those wild creatures the moment you go into the sea close quote at creation god declared interdependence we depend on one another all of us creature mineral air faith hope future water Baptism, gurgling, life emerging, all by God's gracious hand. Let us pray.